Hey Baltimore, this is Megan, and today I'm here with Emily Carter, who is a landscape architect at Design Collective. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me today. Sure. So you are from the Midwest. Mm-hmm. You went to college in the South, but you've lived in Baltimore for several years. Um, yes. How did you end up here? So I have lots of crazy Baltimore stories, but um, I met my now husband at Vanderbilt in Nashville for college, and we were friends in college. Um, but after college, I ended up moving to Washington, D.C., because I was really interested in environmental policy and wanted to get involved with that community. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ted and I reconnected, and several years later, he um, proposed, and at the same time, uh, decided to go back and work for the family business, which meant a move back to Baltimore. And the family so, business is? It's a landscape company, Pinehurst Landscape Company, um, up in Glen Arm, just north of Towson. So you guys must have like really interesting dinner conversations about the same stuff. <laughs> yes, we love plants, yes. and we love um, garden design, and we love trees. When we go on trips places, most people look at fun architecture, which we like architecture too, but you might find us standing somewhere just staring at a tree <laughs> and like being complete plant nerds, and it's great. Yeah. So six years ago, I think it was about six or seven years, he came back to work for his dad's business, uh, Pinehurst Landscape Company in Glen Arm. And at that point, I went back to University of Maryland. I quit my job and went to go get my master's in landscape architecture. So um, we were in totally different careers. I was in fundraising and he was in real estate. Mm -hmm. And we now talk about plants and our garden and lots of fun things. So it's really great sometimes, most times, being in the same industry together. Do you ever... Are you ever able to like help each other out with with the work that you do? Sometimes. It's actually been really interesting. So we live in Butcher's Hill, and we have this garden. We bought our house about three years ago. And it was really funny. When we moved in, he was like, you know, which room is my room? Which room is the, the guy's room? And I was like, well, you know, I'm going to do this room, this room, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, you can have the garden. But then I realized, you know, we're both in, in the design business, so... Um, it's been a really fun project redoing our garden together. And it's not that big. It's about 15 feet by maybe 40 feet long. But it's um, substantial. Yeah, it's a good size. So that was something where we had a bit of a, a marriage test in figuring out, you, you know, do, what do we want here or what do we want the patio to look like? And it's been a work in progress. But we've but actually... But you mostly agree. Yes, okay. we have. So. Do you have tips for people who have a similar situation like we have a roof deck which is like full sun so I guess you probably have some shade though we have a little bit but we have a weird weird conditions where we have full sun shade and and you know a lot of things but a test I know it is a test um we have found a lot of things work really well in the city in terms of um like grasses ornamental grasses things that have to have to deal with really tough environments Mm -hmm. so um for example, there's, I think actually you and I maybe have talked about this before, but there's a couple of really great, tall, big ornamental grasses that can deal with a lot of rain, a lot of drought, a lot of sun, um, and they're native, so they are adapted to this climate. Yeah. So we've put those in our garden, and then I love all things flowers. So I have a bit of an experimental plot in our backyard with um, What's lots been of like fun the biggest fail with the flowers? Oh, man. Um, Oh, this was a great one. We just last year installed uh, bee balm, which is this really great pollinator plant, but it's in the mint family. And Mm -hmm. if you're familiar with mint, it can take 
over. So we planted three small plants last year, and we ended up actually removing most of it this year because it came back, I think, like 10 times the size (laughs) that it was last year. So if you have, like, a roof deck or container garden, that could be good for containers because it is contained. Can you, do you, like, eat it, or is it for bees? It's for bees. It's for bees and butterflies. It's got a really fun, like, flower. I know. I love (laughs) nature, you know. So, Mm -hmm. hey, I've got to plant things for for them but um so that one just like rampantly took over so we have actually removed most of that and put a little bit in a planter okay all right that's a good tip um so you and your husband who love plants love nature also have a son yes and you all three choose to live in the city Mm -hmm. instead of buying land like in the county you're here yes and i love that it's obviously that makes Mm -hmm. me really happy but what keeps you here i mean what why don't you leave and and explore some like plot of land somewhere well we have a wonderful neighborhood uh we have a lot of great friends in the city and we love the fact i mean i work downtown as well so there's a lot of things that are just great about where we live and i get to walk or bicycle to work every day assuming it's not raining it's about a mile a little bit over a mile me too um, yeah because i so great. yeah it's wonderful i work in the power plant building right next to the aquarium and it's it's quite a lovely walk um and i used to commute to annapolis for a couple years and that just was a grinding commute and i really hated it and so yeah. Um, well, I, and you were going to College Park. Yeah, and I was also commuting to College Park. Awful, yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I just, we, we couldn't do it anymore. And so um, we have our, we bought our place a couple years ago, and I walked to work. It's a great commute now, and I get some exercise. Mm-hmm. And if I bicycle door-to-door, it's like 10 minutes, not even. So that's been wonderful. We also live a block off of Patterson Park, which is just, I mean... You can't beat it. You can't beat it. It's like a fantastic urban park. I think it's over 200 acres. Is it that big? It's huge. I didn't realize that. Um, And as a landscape architect, the (laughs) history buff that I am, um, you know, it was designed by Frederick Law Olmsted Jr. and has a lot of historical significance as an urban park. Mm -hmm. So, and there's just a lot going on and it's a great place to live. Yeah. All good reasons. Yeah. So Design Collective is a multidisciplinary design firm. We have... About sixty or so architects on staff. That's kind of our main. Uh, I have group no of idea you're that big. Yeah, so we're about wow. ninety people in our firm, and so it's multidisciplinary. We have architects, uh, interior architects who. So once our architects have built, you know, the the buildings we're working on, um, they'll come in and work on the in- interior spaces to make them really exactly what our clients are looking for, and to work for the the groups of people we're designing for. And then uh, we have on our team, we're the urban design and landscape architecture team. So there's a couple of people who are planners who they actually, in the full design process, tend to be the ones that start the process. So Did you say planters or planners? Planners. Okay. Like urban planners. Yeah, right. Fair question, though. No, right? it is a fair <laughs> question. Um, and they start the design process generally. So if we have a client who has a big piece of property and says, I want... Uh, multi-family a building I want commercial or I want you know these types of usages on this property the planners will come in and say you know here's what we're here's the foundation of the project and then I am a landscape architect we work closely with our planners but what we do is then we design all the exterior spaces for our buildings so whether that's uh, a streetscape where the building faces or a plaza that's in front of the building or a neighboring park and open space and lately, we've been doing a lot of green roofs um, since a lot of 
municipalities want and clients want as much open space as possible, mm-hmm. roofs are a great place to provide amenities. So um, we do a lot, you know, for six people on the team, we do a lot of different types of work, but, um, you know, we we really focus on the exterior of the building and then the neighborhood and how we can fit those spaces into the existing infrastructure that's there. That's very cool. It's it's fun. It's, um, you know, I, I never knew a lot about landscape architecture when I graduated from college. My undergraduate degree was in geology and Spanish um, because it was kind of the environmental program that Vanderbilt offered. And um, I learned about landscape architecture after I graduated from college and was working in D.C. And I never knew, you know, I was somebody who went to D.C. to to save the environment and to do great things, but got really frustrated with a lot of our environmental clients that it's hard. It's hard work in D.C. and not a lot of people listen because they all have their own priorities. But as a designer, I can work with our clients, our communities, and make, you know, impactful change. And is that through planting things that are indigenous to the area and, mm-hmm. and like, air purifying? And yeah. Is I it mean, that simple, or is there, like, kind more? Kind of. Okay. There's a lot of benefits to it. I mean, one of it is just getting people outside and using, specifically, we've worked on a lot of urban landscapes, so you know, you want your cities to be friendly for people. You don't want somebody to come into a city and just go into the buildings. You want them to actually be in the city. Um, So that was, you know, that's one thing that we really focus on is what is the human experience. But at the same time, um, one of my roles on the team is I actually do focus a lot on our planting design. So while we really want to make all of our spaces friendly for people, my job is to also figure out how to make them friendly for plants. And, you know, urban ecology is a really kind of big thing that I'm very interested in. So it's been a very fascinating career path to get to where I am. And now it's, you know, I never really realized how many opportunities exist within this field to do um, cool work in, ur- you know, in urban spaces with native plants and trees. And yeah, well, so. and especially, I mean, here in Baltimore, and especially in downtown, working for the downtown partnership, seeing everything that's growing, all the businesses that are growing, all of the new buildings that are coming up. And yeah, I mean, even um, some of our own initiatives, like the Pratt Street redesign, like oh, yeah. to speak to like making things more friendly for people. Yeah. It, Pratt yeah. Street did not used to be what it looks like today. No. And so like, I guess you get to come in and make it all better. You get to like wave a wand and the city. I wish it was that simple. <laughs> well, I'm sure, I'm sure <laughs> no. it's a lot of hard but work. No, but no, it's, it's true. To the person yeah. who's walking down the street, I mean, they don't know all the work that goes into it. It looks yeah. like an effortless and that's when green you know, space. That's when you actually know you have the most successful space, when somebody actually can't really tell that so much thought and design has gone into something because yeah. it just feels so natural. Are you guys working on anything cool downtown right now? Or? We are. There's a couple projects um, that we, our firm has been working on, whether it's our architecture team or our team. You know, We work on a lot of things together, but there's one project um, that we're working on really as a you know, multidisciplinary team, uh, the Hendler Creamery building. Um, it was, uh, it's a historic building on Baltimore, between Baltimore and Fayette in I think like North Jonestown. Um, and so there, our firm does a, a lot of adaptive reuse as well. And we've been able to maintain the facade of the building and build this new multifamily building inside of it essentially so and our team the landscape architecture team is working on the streetscape around it i think it's right next to the mckim community center so we're trying to make sure we're integrating with the fabric of 
what's in the neighborhood. And then there's going to be some amenity roof decks kind of in the center at the top of the building. Um, so we're designing those to, to be, awesome. you know, outdoor grills and a pool and, and amazing. I mean, quite honestly, I, I used to live in apartment buildings in D.C. and the amenities in a lot of buildings now. I'm like, I want to go back and yeah. live in one of those buildings. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's incredible. They to are. See. What's, yeah, even at um, 500 Park, the pool oh, that they're yeah. building up. I mean, there's yeah. roof pools are now a thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, every project we work on that has roof decks, pools are always included. Mm-hmm. And, I mean. Feel free to design great. one for my roof. Oh, hey. If you want that. one. Yeah. And then, so you've been working with, um, with our parks team at Downtown Partnership mm-hmm. on um, Hopkins Plaza, yes. which looks so different than it did two years ago. Oh, I'm sure. Um, so thank you for your work. Yeah, of course. Well, we, yeah, we're doing some work on, um, just kind of changing the streetscape, uh, in, on Pratt street. We're also adding some planting into Hopkins Plaza to make it more horticulturally interesting and also just aesthetically, you know, a little bit more vibrant than what's there now. Well, it's a hardscape at this point. And I think it's really important to bring some green in there because it's a pretty Absolutely. populated plaza yeah. and it's a big plaza it's a huge plaza. so yeah. you know by bringing more plants in you know there's a lot of planters there but adding more of that in the mix you can kind of start to bring down the scale to a more human friendly scale and that's a lot of what we're constantly thinking about because because the big open expanses of pavement it really is a thing of the 70s 80s and a lot of cities are realizing that those are actually quite um hostile environments to people because you just feel really it's out of so place hot in the summer and yeah, yeah there's nowhere comfortable to sit or anything beautiful to look at exactly and, our, yeah yeah our team did actually the before i worked there but the plaza at 100 light right across the street here oh, really? um because that used to be a big open granite you know slab that mm-hmm. people walked through but they didn't ever want to stay there i wonder why that was the trend i think it was easy, easy. Oh, okay yeah. it was just you know here's it's kind of the um like modernist brutalist movement of these big towering buildings that are you know feats of engineering and you want them on this pedestal that doesn't you know take away from the building but now we've got to add more to make sure that it you know works for everybody. I much prefer yeah the way it's going now yeah um well okay so Patterson Park aside what mm-hmm. is your favorite park in the city I oh that's a tough question I love Besides Patterson Park, Druid Hills Park, um, there is a gem in that park, which is the Rawlings Conservatory. Isn't that, we take our son there just to walk around. It's, it's beautiful. Ted and I go there at least every other month. Really? Tommy. Oh, yeah. Aww. We go there all the time. Um, it's, I mean, granted, we we love plants and we love to go learn about plants. Yeah, I shouldn't be so surprised. No, I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> I tell people this and they're like, oh, that makes total sense <laughs> now. Um, but it's one of those places that you experience things that you'll you won't experience here in Baltimore and I mean the building itself it's I think one of the remaining conservatories in all of the parks of Baltimore since the one in Patterson Park burned down and um and it's just a cool place I will say we've been there I think it was last February the Mediterranean room which is the first room when you walk in that's when most of the plants are blooming and the scent like that you're overwhelmed with is just so February is the like time to go. One of my favorites, yeah. I, would I mean, not let's be honest, that. any time of year. But yeah. if you're looking for a respite from the winter, go to the Rawlings Conservatory because it's lovely. So we were talking about Pratt Street and the redesign. Um, and its proximity to the harbor and then the Chesapeake watershed itself is um, something that was taken into consideration during the design. And one of the elements added were the bioswales. Yep. Do you mind explaining what those are? 
Sure. So bioswales are designed to actually capture runoff. So anything that hits like the sidewalk or the road, they are curb cutouts to direct water into those bioswales. And then they're planted and designed in such a way with the soil profile that water is supposed to be absorbed by those plants. So essentially what those do is they're able to capture water kind of from its point where it's originating from and redirect it out of our like combined sewer overflow that we have here in Baltimore. So it helps to alleviate some of our infrastructure by treating it where it lands as opposed to piping it into the bay. Okay. And is that a trend you're seeing in urban design right now? It is. So Maryland is, um, because of the Chesapeake Bay and because of this amazing estuary that we live on, it's a delicate system. And, and as we all know, the Bay has suffered for years and um, stro- managing stormwater where it comes from is actually one of the ways that we can help to decrease any types of pollutants that could make their way into the water the watershed. Because um, the way that Baltimore's stormwater system works is anything that drops on the street can hit you know, one of the storm, the stormwater, or the, excuse me, the uh, overflows, and it goes right into the bay. It's not treated. So if, you know, if there's gas that comes out of a car and it's not intercepted before it goes into that storm drain, it just goes right into the harbor. So bioswales are a way to capture those pollutants and excessive water. Um, so we start to mitigate for like flooding. Um, like when you see what's happening on the Jones Falls, every time a huge rain comes, if people can can capture that water where it lands as opposed to just channel it to the next you know ditch or whatnot, um, bioswales are a way that you can capture it, and then you use plants to actually absorb it and treat it where it lands as opposed to you know sending it somewhere else. Do the plants survive absorbing all of the um, like the toxins, or do you just replace them? And how does that work? So. To be honest, a lot of bioswales and a lot of this type of green infrastructure is still in an experimental phase Mm -hmm. because it's new and we don't have the historical data to know like this Amsonia that is planted here is going to thrive. Well, on Pratt Street, as you can see what's blooming right now, all of those plants that have the blue flowers on top, Mm -hmm. that's an Amsonia and it's it's killing it. It loves it. Um, so I know. I mean, it looks like great. I literally on the way by here, I was like, "Oh, that Amsonia looks great right now." <laughs> this is what I think when I walk through downtown Baltimore. Um, but no, we're we're putting them in more and more places. And um, as somebody who works with plants, I actually kind of take the opportunity each time we're we're encountered with this in our design work to kind of experiment a bit. Um, we know some plants like certain conditions, some are really tough urban plants. Others are a little bit more delicate and they won't survive. But, um, you know, it's just one small step to try and help the bay. And we always encourage our clients um, to, to do that because not only is it great for the environment, but it can be an aesthetic amenity to our projects. And um, it looks cool, I think. Would you recommend someone with a garden in the city to plant these kinds of plants? Yeah. If you get a lot of water and you have the space to plant them, I mean, that's one of the biggest things is if you're not going to pull up concrete and kind of retrofit your environment, then there's not much you can do unless you have like a rain barrel or something like that. Mm -hmm. But um, if you can, they're great plants. Um, As I said, I think there's like a switchgrass is a great one. They like full sun also, and they can tolerate drought because that's the other tricky thing about these spaces is they're not irrigated. So they could have the whole month of July, if it doesn't rain, they have to live 
and very and then not flood in August. Yeah. So um, so they're tough plants. Some, as I said, make it. Some don't. And um, but we're still kind of. I personally am still really learning as to what does well. And some plants have wonderfully surprised me lately. So Am- Amsonia. Amsonia. Yeah, has surprised you. Yeah, that one. There's an iris that looks great. It loves it. And um, I don't know. There's a lot of stuff. We've done some work actually down in Columbia around the mall. There's some urban infill that our, our firm is working on. And there's a new multifamily building called the Metropolitan that actually has, because of the county, Howard County's requirements, they needed to mitigate all of this water on site. So there's a big bioswale in the front that's kind of designed with this playground, a sculptural playground, playground for kids. Oh, wow. And it's right next to the mall, and um, it's been really fun. We've It's been installed for about three years now, so it's been cool to see what's thrived. Really, I haven't been to Columbia in a while. I know. Well, if you head there with, you know, now with Lou, you could head down there, and there's these cool slides and these wind sculptures and a spray fountain, and then this huge naturalistic bioswale that runs through the whole site. Um and the last time I was there, I was watching like birds eating the winterberry and kids playing on the playground, and it was, it was pretty cool, cool uh, to see you know your work Heart take you there. Heart was happy. Oh my gosh, it was great. I was trying not to Instagram everything. <laughs> <laughs> Emily, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me today. Of course. And so we had a great conversation about different kinds of plants that thrive in urban environments, whether they're beautiful or useful or both. Um, so we're actually going to work with Design Collective to compile a list that will live on our Go Downtown Baltimore w- website. So, Excellent. Yes. So yeah, I'd love to. Thank you in advance for the extra yeah, work have, I'm giving you. It's, no, it's good It's good to provide a list because I could talk for like an hour about plants I love in the city. So. I'm glad you found love. <laughs> <laughs> you love plants. I love plants. <laughs> okay. Well, um, so yeah, everyone should look forward to that list if you have any interest in urban gardening and yeah. check out Design Collective if you have any major projects. And thank you. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to and hopefully enjoying this episode of Hey Baltimore podcast. If you're interested in checking out Emily's list of city-friendly plants, just head to our website, godowntownbaltimore.com. You can also find lots of cool events going on for the spring and summer, and uh, hopefully we'll see you out there. Thank you.